I just had this moment, like I'm part of the problem. These gender roles are part of the problem. And we really need to address this male need for respect and domination and entitlement. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Megan Chance. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited we got to connect. Thank you for saying yes to this. Oh, I am so excited to talk today. So, Megan, before we dive into that conversation, can you give us a little bit about who you are and some of the work that you do? Yeah. um, My name is Megan Chance, as you already said. I am a former missionary that worked with sexually exploited and oppressed women um, who discovered that the patriarchal gender norms that are taught in the church were part of the problem. Uh, kind of deconstructed those while as a missionary, um, eventually quit my job, started a podcast called Faith and Feminism, and wrote a book about it called Women Rising, uh, which comes out May 11th. I'm super excited, and I can't promote this book enough. It's an incredibly insightful uh, read, and I highly recommend it to our listeners. Uh, but Megan, let's unpack some of that a little bit. Where did this journey start for you? You know, you mentioned that you were a missionary, uh, but you know, how did the recognition for this discussion start? Yeah, um, so that, I mean, that's such a good question, and I'm going to try and answer this concisely as possible. I've been on enough podcasts to know that I can go off. So, uh, long story short, I was raised in the conservative evangelical church, raised to believe essentially that my role on this earth was to be a submissive housewife to meet and serve all of my potential husband's needs. And so, all of my growing up framework was around that. And I really struggled with that, especially as Um, I'm a competitive, outspoken person, and those were not quote unquote feminine traits. And so for many years, I tried to shove that down in me. Um, And when I graduated college, I graduated with a degree in journalism from the University of Colorado and worked for a newspaper, hated it. Um, I thought, you know, I want, I had things to say and I couldn't say them. I just had to report the news, which is what journalists should do, but, um, not what I wanted to do. And so I was like, well, let me just dive into my relationship with God as a woman. Um, I was precluded at like, wasn't allowed to be a teacher, preacher, pastor. Um, so that really only left the option to be a pastor's wife or a missionary. And I chose missionary. And so, um, I went around the world with a program called the world race and saw the extreme objectification and oppression of women, um, everything raising, uh, ranging from female genital mutilation, um, which for those who are not familiar, um, it's when um, either the clitoris or the whole external genitalia is removed. It's an extremely dangerous and painful process that has long-term health effects. If you want to Google um, it, you'll, you'll find out, and the World Health Organization strongly condemns it. I met girls who had survived that procedure and were starting to question it. I've met women who have been raped. I've met widows. I uh, just encountered so much even sex trafficking. I worked with um, women who had been tra- trafficked in India. Uh, so the way that's set up is uh, 
India or Nepal is a impoverished nation and Indian traffickers will go to these impoverished villages and say, hey, give me your daughter or your son and we'll get them a good job in India and we'll send the money back to you. But unfortunately, most of those children end up um, either in the slave trade, working at factories uh, for forced labor or um, in the sex trade. And so I met women there. Um, who had survived the most atrocious things and really started to see over and over and over and over again this theme of women being oppressed. And so I eventually was recruited to start an inner healing program for women who had survived sex trafficking or oppression. And we started here in the United States and I went around the world again uh, working with marginalized women. And it was through that that I heard it just, I mean, my job was to hear stories all day long. And it was story after story after story after story of the most gross injustices towards women. And I started to question, like, what is causing this? I always noticed there was uh, a tie between patriarchy and gender roles and this extreme oppression. Um, I didn't have the words to articulate it at the time. But for example, when I encountered female genital mutilation, it was also in an area where these young girls were fighting to get an education where they had to fight to go to school. I'd also hear stories of rape from these, these girls who were surviving. Um, and then when I'd go to another area, I'd hear another, another set of patriarchal scripts, uh, men being entitled to respect or sex or whatever. But I didn't really fully connect this until I was um, in the Philippines. So I've um, done a lot of work with a ministry called wipe every tear, which takes girls who have been trafficked in the Philippines and puts them all the way through college. And I was um, leading a trip there um, in 2017. Yeah, it was 2017, right before I got married. I had been doing this work for about four years at this point. And I was talking to a woman, it was her first night in the bars. Um, and the way the sex trade is set up there is um, a lot of women have no other options and they don't know what they're really getting themselves into when they enter these um, bars, which are a front for the prostitution. And so, um, for example, there'll be, um, and like with climate change happening, there's entire provinces that are getting wiped out. So the way families survive like on their land is getting completely wiped out. And so these families with all of these children will usually send their oldest daughters to the city and say, hey, find a way to, to, to so we can survive, send money back to us. Um, and that's how, and these women, you know, without an education, don't have a lot of options and they might think they're getting into the restaurant industry and slowly find that's not the case. Or some might even know that what they're doing, but uh, yeah, don't know the extremes of it or have no other options. And when I say no other options, I mean, this is the story I heard again and again and again. And so I was talking to one woman and it was her first night in the bars and she, you know, was wanting to get out. She told me that, um, she had a child that she was trying to feed and that um, she was like, had no other way to feed them and that her abusive boyfriend uh, like wanted her to do this. And she had, she was showing me like the cigarette burns that were all over her body. And as I was talking to her, these six drunk men came up to us and uh, wanted to buy her. And technically she should be able to say no, but these men were not taking no for an answer. And so we were both saying no and they eventually tried grabbing her. And so I 
had a teammate run over and she's like, why don't you just buy her first? And so I ended up buying this woman, but these men still tried to take her. And so I ended up chasing these men outside the bar and like arguing about this woman saying she's mine. I bought her first, which is a completely ridiculous argument to have and eventually won the argument. But these men got so very angry in the process and just grabbed another woman off the stage. And I remember that woman walking away, looking back at me with just terror in her eyes. And I felt like I had made the situation infinitely worse while I was able to help one woman. She was so quickly replaced and I kept on, it made me start to really ask the question, why, like, why is this happening? Like we can help women, we can offer them resources and like, that's good and noble work, but why is this happening? And why are women so easily replaced? And the next night I got my answer very quickly. I was again, talking to women and these uh, American guys called us over. So the way the sex trade, a lot of these, almost everyone is uh, not Filipino. It's people from primarily a lot of Australians, a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Europeans. And um, they called us over and they're like, why are you here? And we told them, you know, we're here like offering these girls a chance to like get a college education and hopefully like um, have more options for their life. And he started talking. He was like, oh, that's great. And we're like, why are you here? And he said this all with like a young girl under his arm. And he said, I'm here because women here are raised right and they know how to respect men. And this was in the middle of a tirade of how women um, don't respect men in the United States. And so he has to travel here to get the respect that he's entitled to. And it was in that moment that I just had this profound realization that he had sounded so much like the pastors I had growing up, this idea that men need respect and that women should give them that respect regardless of conditions. Um, and I mean, I, it made me think of books about like love and respect. There's a whole marriage book, one of the most popular marriage books in evangelical culture is all about men deserving respect and being entitled to respect um, regardless of his behavior. And so I just had this moment like, oh my goodness, I'm part of the problem. These gender roles are part of the problem. And we really need to address this male need for respect and domination and entitlement, which comes namely from the patriarchy. And the church was holding up so many different patriarchal norms. So that was my big moment, realizing that these men <laughs> talked just like my pastors. It almost felt like a pastor I had growing up. Super powerful perspective, Megan. Now, when when you're talking about this, when you're sharing this story, I'm just noticing that there's a difference in in power. You know, the the women essentially have none. The men have everything, and then outsiders sort of come in, and they when they disrupt that power, that's when tension starts. And to your story, it creates more issues sometimes. You know, can you unpack some of the power differentials when it comes to things like sexual abuse? 
Absolutely. So there's more and more studies coming out today. For example, I'm going to reference a psychoanalyst named Lynn Yonak, um, but she has an incredible article in Psychology Today that's about how sexual assault and sexual abuse is not actually about any sexual urges. It's about power and the need for domination and control. So more and more studies are showing this. And if we think about this, this certainly rings true. When we hear about stories about sexual assault in the church, who is doing the sexual assault? It's a, usually a man in a position of power uh, doing it to a student or a congregant, um, someone who has less power, someone who might not be believed. Uh, when we see it, you know, even in family dynamics, it might be a father, an uncle, a grandfather doing it to children. There's always this extreme power differential between, um, you know, the, the, the abuser or there's often between the abuser and the abused. Um, rarely do we hear stories the other way around, say like an employee raping their boss. That's very uncommon. And so what we're finding is that power differentials are actually a huge factor in contributing to abuse and in enabling abuse. And what I saw in the church, this whole idea of biblical gender roles of men needing respect to be in control, to dominate, while women are there to basically meet his needs to serve, to submit, is ultimately priming the ground for this kind of abuse to happen. And if we're going to do better, we have to address the way these power differentials exist um, within our church and within our society. And what's more, it's not just researchers that are finding this to be true, but when we actually talked it, for example, um, in 20, I think it was in 2011 or maybe 2010, there was a, a, a terrible rape of a woman in India who was gang raped to death on a, on a public bus and this made international news. And when they interviewed the rapist about wh why did you rape this woman? He said, um, because she was, she was supposed to be at home doing chores. She wasn't dressed the way she should be. Women should be in home, at, at home, not outside um, like roaming. He said, roaming the streets. Well, this woman was coming home from a movie with a friend um, and was raped to death. And so there's an example of like, he, this man is literally saying the reason he was entitled to rape this woman was because she wasn't following her prescribed gender role. Um, and so that's an example. But even here in, this, in the United States, we have uh, researchers like Jackson Katz, who uh, does a lot of research about the uh, sexual assault the dynamics between men and women, who also says like, this is, a product of our culture, the whole idea that women need to be submissive and are there for the viewing pleasure of men, for uh, the, the desire of men. Um, I mean, if we think of how young girls are raised in the United States with and without the church, you know, in the church, I was getting this message, be submissive, meet his needs, uh, don't rock the boat, be silent, be submissive. And then outside of the church, I was getting these magazines that said uh, how I can be sexually attractive to men and how I can blow his mind with sex tricks. There's, these are the two messages we're getting and both are, res are revolving around this male need for dominance and power and entitlement to women's bodies. And so Jackson Katz said, this is, this is like rapists aren't crawling out of the swamp. This is a product of our culture. And so that's what I really want get, 
to get people to see is that uh, these, you know, these power differentials, these ideas, these gender scripts that puts men in positions of power and puts women below them are absolutely priming the ground for sexual abuse to happen. That doesn't mean that, you know, every man does it, but it does mean that it is inadvertently teaching young boys that they have power and are entitled to women's bodies. And it seems like for a we don't really care because if we look at the 2016 election, we had a president or he wasn't president yet, but a man brag about his entitlement to women's bodies, grab him by the pussy. And it didn't bother people enough. Like he bragged about sexual assault and yet evangelical Christians elected him. And so again, just another issue that shows that we don't really care um, about sexual assault. And there's almost this idea of entitlement that even someone bragging about it is not a big deal. And it's one thing when you're trying to resist these bad frameworks within the world, as you were just mentioning, seeing them in magazines and, you know, pornography is ever available within our devices. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a growing issue, but there are toxic and harmful mindsets and advice giving within the church right as you're sort of alluding to throughout your story you know what happens when this fight actually brings you inside the walls of the church and not just to a quote-unquote broken world um yeah so i mean that's another thing i like that we can talk about is like how the church is like being an upholder of this so let's let's talk about purity culture for those who aren't familiar um I'm sure you are if you grew up in the church, but there's this concept of purity culture where uh, we need to be like, sex is really bad. We need to be super pure until marriage. And for women or for young girls, I think that message was a lot stronger and more degrading. And so for me growing up in the church, I was told that my body was dangerous. That would make men stumble or make them do bad things. On top of that, I was constantly likened to an object. So I was either, um, you know, uh, I was told specifically that I was a flower with petals and that each time I did something sexual, I'd lose a petal. And and that could be like from kissing to goodness knows what. And if I did enough of those things, I'd become a bald flower and my husband wouldn't want me anymore. Cause what good does a, a bald flower have? Like it has no use. I wasn't the only one that grew up with these kind of teachings of um, little girls being likened to objects. Um, there's the spitting cup, the licked Oreo. I mean, the list goes on and on of what young girls are likened to. Um, so not only is that simply objectifying them, I think purity culture probably intended to stop the objectification of women, but what they actually did was just objectify little girls. So we grew up with these messages that, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an Oreo or I'm a flower. I don't have my whole worth and identity is in if my sexual purity, um, which is super harmful. And not only is it just that teaching that young girls uh, receive, but in addition, we're also taught things that uh, we're don't be a stumbling block to your brothers. Modest is hottest. Don't show it if it's not on the market. All of these things, which again, 
are likening women to objects. We're not stumbling blocks. Our bodies are not stumbling blocks. Um, my body is not a market to be bought and sold. Men are not entitled to my body if something is showing. Yet that was the teaching we grew up with. And so, for example, when I was 13 years old, I went on a mission trip and I wore this T-shirt that when I raised my hands, a small sliver of my stomach would show completely unintentionally. I was shamed by my youth pastor. And he asked me to change it, told me that if I didn't, men would do bad things to me. And a week later, um, I wasn't, you know, the frumpiest fully colored clothing. Uh, a man came up and grabbed my breast and I didn't tell anyone for 10 years because I thought it was my fault. Hadn't I been warned about this? My body makes men do bad things. And so not only are women and young girls told that they're responsible for the thoughts and actions of men, but young boys are not fully held accountable to their thoughts and actions. And so if we even look at, there was a terrible shooting that happened just last week where a, a man who, in his own words, struggled with porn addiction um, and visiting uh, massage parlors where sex acts were performed and he killed these women, shot them to death, because he wanted to quote unquote, eliminate the temptation. And we know that this man comes from a Baptist context that he was described by everyone as religious and devout, yet he saw women as a temptation to be eliminated. I mean, this has direct ties to purity culture as I just showed you um, and told you growing up, I was told that my body was a stumbling block and would make men do bad things. And I really think the impetus here needs to be on uh, the responsibility of one's own thoughts and one's actions and seeing women and girls as human beings. And the way we do that is through empowering women and teaching our young boys that they are just as capable capable, smart, intelligent, and that their needs matter too. Now, Megan, as we wrap up our, our conversation, we've only really scratched the surface of what uh, what this topic entails. And, and we've sort of talked about the what, but we sort of need to discuss the how. How does the church better step into uh, starting to dismantle some of the purity culture that we've created, some of the entitlement, and, and taking apart some of the patriarchy that we do find specifically here within the American church? What's a first step that we could do to start understanding this and, and taking it apart? It's a great question. Um, I think the first thing is a biblical concept is to look at the fruit, right? It says in the Bible that we will know a tree by its fruit. And if we're looking at the fruit of these patriarchal teachings of these women submit, men are in charge kind of teachings, uh, we can see the fruit is bad. I have just given you many, many examples of how this fruit causes harm. So the first thing to do is not, I think so many people get hung up. Well, this is what I was taught. This is what I was taught. But the Bible tells us we can examine things by their fruit. And if we're very clearly seeing that the fruit of this is bad, which I think I've clearly demonstrated, and I'm sure people listening can realize that this fruit is bad, we must ask, what is wrong with the way that we're interpreting scripture? Why do women seem very empowered in some instances of scripture and 
very disempowered in other instances. And so the question is, um, who, who are we receiving teaching from? Who is the voice? So if we look at the white evangelical church, um, I mean, I don't, I haven't done a comprehensive study, I'd say, but 90 95% is from white men. Um, and so obviously they're, I mean, even if they're not intentionally trying to protect their power, there's a lot of blind spots on what it is to be a woman or perhaps a person of color or a black person or a queer person on what it is to exist in this world, the injustice they have to face. And so, um, I think part of it is examining these teachings. Why have we been taught um, that, you know, a plain, a quote unquote, plain and simple re uh, reading of scripture means that women should be subordinate to men? Um, that's not actually a plain and simple reading of scripture at all, because we look at other instances of the Bible where women are very much empowered. We think of Deborah, who led an entire nation of Esther, who broke with her gender norms, um, her gender roles to save a nation. We look at, um, for example, the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, completely shattered gender roles and expectations by saying Mary had chosen what was better when she was not behaving the way a woman, quote unquote, should be. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was being so offensive in terms of her expected gender norms. And yet we see Jesus saying, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. So if we're taking scripture, we need to understand that it's not plain and simple. There's some, at least in the way we've been taught, there's been contradictory teachings um, of how women should exist. There's also other Pauline letters that says there's no slave nor free, no Jew, uh, no Greek or whatever. Um, yet then we see those same, you know, the same guy supposedly say that women need to be silent in church. And so I think we need to at least acknowledge that there's at least some seemingly contradictions and then start to educate ourselves. There's an incredible book that um, is coming out, or I don't know when this podcast is going out, but it comes out April 20th. It's called The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr that really dives into the historical uh, context of how we got the gender roles that we have today and how it's historical and not biblical. And there's other incredible authors like Carolyn Custis James. She wrote the foreword for my book who talks about um, these biblical stories and puts them in, you know, an understanding that this is not about subjugating women. This is um, about empowering and bringing freedom to them. And so to, to sum up that question, number one, I would say we need to look at the fruit. And then number two, start examining the teachings we've been given and broaden horizons, try to diversify who our teachers are, have women teachers, have um, black teachers, have Asian teachers, have people from different contexts who might understand scripture a bit differently than you, because those are very important contexts. If even if we look at the Bible, um, it was, you know, written through, for the most part, through a marginalized lens. So we need to put people on the margins um, front and center when we, I think, examine the Bible because they're going to have a better understanding of what it's like to be on the margins than say a white man or even a white woman. And so I think those are my two biggies is number one, <laughs> look at the fruit. And number two, start to ask questions, do some research um, and have the courage to, to have that, you know, you're not going to hell from asking questions. So 
Those are great thoughts, Megan. Thank you. And and thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell our listeners how they can connect with you online? Yes. So I have um, an Instagram called Megan Chons. It's my name. Uh, it's hard to spell, but I'm sure he'll have it in the show notes. Um, I also have a website that's Megan Chons and my book that's coming out is called Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice. And that can be found anywhere um, books books are. And in addition to that, I have a podcast if you're interested in so much more. This is like um, he said, just a small small shallow dive there's so much more here i wish we could had time to talk about but faith and feminism does a great job of diving into these conversations that's awesome we'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes but again thanks for being on the show thank you that wraps up this episode of the dismantle until next time don't complain about the things you're not willing to change 